This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by David Hughes. Dave, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you, mate. Probably better than Mick. It's been another yeah. another weekend of uh, pain, to be honest. Uh, yeah, we're saying this more than ever, aren't we? That seems to yeah, be the opening line. Uh, to be honest, mate, I haven't enjoyed the season. Yeah. <laughs> as you can probably gauge. Uh, but we'll get into it anyway, we have to get into it. So we'll, we'll be talking about Newcastle United, what happened. We'll be looking ahead to this weekend's big game, Manchester United. And on the Liverpool front, really, that's kind of all that's going on at the minute. So it could be a show to show. We'll see how we go. Uh, we might end up going off on a tangent regarding something else. Who knows? But yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. But I think first, starting with Newcastle, Dave, um, was you at the game? Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> um... Without the smile? No, it's not that. It's really hard to, it's really hard to summarise because... Uh, you know, based on kind of the underlying numbers and uh, the chances Liverpool created, especially in the first half, you know, it could have been on another day quite a dominant victory. Um, you know, could could should have been three or four nil up at half time. Um, but yet, what I will say is, it did still feel like there was a vulnerability throughout, um, and it felt like Newcastle potentially could have. Um, scored more than what they did. Obviously, I suppose you could have, they had one ruled out uh, for handball. Um, so it was just the one they finished for the day. But I just felt like Liverpool, even though they created a lot of high-quality chances, should have had a, a really good lead going into half-time. And before, you know, key plays for Newcastle, like Wilson, come on. Um, yeah, they still felt a little bit vulnerable. That's why I'd summarise it as a bit of a strange game. Uh, but... Be honest, in that dressing room afterwards, they must have been looking at themselves, thinking like, you know, that that was all on us. That because yeah, a year ago, that probably would have been a, you know, four-one victory, something like that. Yeah, to be honest, mate, um, you know, you know, you know me, I'm I'm not really a nervous fan, and I'm quite positive in the way I look at my team and stuff like that. I'm not. I'm, I mean, long-term listeners of the show will will know Chris, and Chris is kind of the opposite. <laughs> expects the worst at all times. Um, but even in this game, just as it progressed, I just, I just knew what was coming. You could just see it a mile off. Um, and I, I was, I was getting nervy towards the end. I was just like, just end this game, just finish it, because it's clearly an off day on the finishing side. You're lucky to get three points when that happens. Nevertheless, we deserved three points. But honestly, those past those last five minutes, truly painful. Um, but when it comes to the performance. I just say Liverpool was spot on, I thought. I think the game was a little bit more open than a typical Liverpool game of late, and I think a lot of that stemmed from maybe the use of the 4-2-3-1. I think that does tend to happen. Liverpool have a little bit less control when we use that shape. But as a result of using that shape, you're fielding all four of your attackers. They're all top performers, and you should have goals in there. And We certainly had threat, um, but we just (laughs) couldn't find the back of the net again. Um, uh-huh. And if you look at the numbers associated with the game, uh, so Liverpool had 
21 shots. Newcastle had seven. Uh, 69% of the ball for Liverpool. But interestingly, Dave, I don't know if you've seen the, the expected goals, but it's tighter than I thought it would be. It's uh, uh, it, Go on. I was going to say, are you on uh, FD ref, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool 1.9, Newcastle 1.2. But what I will say, I think I'd, I'd be interested to know how much of Newcastle's 1.2 happened in the last five minutes. Because um, yeah. it felt like they had a, a few opportunities in and around the penalty spot and stuff, but up until mm-hmm. that point, uh, I don't think they offered a great deal. They certainly offered threats. I think, I think Saint Maximin in particular, you know, he, yeah. he he was the the problem. I think if he weren't on the pitch, it's probably a a really nice game. Um, but he was a real threat, and it actually resulted in us getting, I think, one or two tweets or one or two messages about, you know, should Liverpool be in form? You got any thoughts on that one, Dave? Um, you know, I do, I do really like him. I think he's he's quite a maverick, isn't he? I think that that's a really good summary of him. Um, you know, you give him the ball and he'll he can kind of go in any direction, use any force, get himself out of uh, tight positions really well. Uh, he can create things as a result, bring players, uh, you know, pull players in, create spaces for others. He's a really good asset. Um. I just don't know if he's maybe got that kind of what's some what maybe like that um I think reliability. I'll oh, go on. Yeah, the way that comes to mind for me is maybe robustness. Just that that mm. kind of um almost your ability to I mean, if you still going to play once a week for Newcastle United and it'd be a case of three times a week. Well, mm. you know, that sort of thing. I'm not sure he'd He'd be available enough. I think that'd be my biggest problem with him. Yeah, well, he's got, he's got, he has got a really bad injury record, hasn't he? Um, you know, he he, he misses large portions of the season, uh, so that'd be a, a red flag right away. I remember, I remember him looking really good when he was in France with, I want to say, was it Nice? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked really good there, um, and he had, he, he has shown he can translate those skills over. But yeah, I think. The fact he's not reliable. I mean, he, he seems to take a few knocks on uh, Saturday, and it it, it it just seemed to he 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 spend. I don't know if it was getting picked up on the uh, on, yeah. on on camera, but he spend yeah he spent like a few minutes constantly kind of you no know, like limping a little bit and rubbing his leg, and it seemed like it was impacting them maybe more than it would say like with with a Milner who'd who'd make a point to be getting up and. Um, you know, not even letting on that he was remotely hurt. Um, whether that's a huge factor, I don't know. You know, I'm not saying it is, but uh, I just think he's a he's a really good player. He's one to admire, but not necessarily one that you need in, to then be like, oh, we desperately need to sign that player. Yeah, still only 24, um, and I'm looking at his injury history now. At Nice, his injury history wasn't really there actually. Um, over the course of a few seasons, it looks like he's only missed about four games um, but then since since he's been at Newcastle like this, this season for example he's had three separate injuries one with his ankle one with his calf one with his groin and he's missed 10 days 61 days 35 days um, and last season he had a hamstring injury missed three games another hamstring injury missed eight games so, and yeah, you know, you said they, when he was getting knocked down, when he was the product, um, when he was kind of in on the 
receiving end of like a, a heavy tackle or something like that. He, he did stay down for quite a while. And I don't even think Milner's has to be the example. Even the likes of Mane and Salah, they just they just get straight up most of the time, at least. Um, and I think you know with Liverpool's game being really intense, quite intimidating and stuff. I'm not sure that type of player entirely fits. And I do think you know that. He's clearly ridiculously creative and very, very good at solving problems on the pitch, despite being surrounded by very few teammates and stuff. Um, but I do think that when when you move to a bigger club, especially with a coach, you know, as commanding as as Klopp and and Guardiola and stuff, I do think maybe a little bit of his creative freedom would be taken away a little bit, just as a natural result of having to become part of a really established unit. Um, like there was there was moments in the game where I, I'm not sure if it was an instruction or what, but I was quite confused as to why Thiago was clearly running a game, and Saint Maximum was just kind of marking space, and I was just thinking to myself like, I'm not sure if that was me. Just just stand on Thiago because you're not you're not doing anything anyway. You just you just kind of floating anyway. Mm. Um, so just kind of following around almost. Rafa Benitez used to do that if if Liverpool were coming up against like a top defensive midfielder. Rather than using like a front two, Rafa would use a striker and a number ten, and the number ten would sit on the the you know the the good six basically mm. and stop him from playing. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a fair few ifs attached to his game that I don't <sighs> think Liverpool would explore. Mm. But nevertheless, still a really good player. And I said to you on on the WhatsApp over the weekend, Dave. I think I'd rank him above. Adama Traore and enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I think you know on the on the big club point and the the point you raised about um, you know not following those instructions or predominantly uh, implementing the off the ball work. I think that does you do get that freezing, don't you? When you when you that type of player at a club like Newcastle, you're obviously bottom half. Um, you know you can kind of be a little bit more. Of a, an outlet, not, not really. a player, yeah, an outlet, yeah, a player who can be considered more of a a luxury player, or he, he gets more allowances than others because of um of the fact because he brings so much and he brings more than what any other attacking player really in that side does. So therefore, it's really hard to kind of criticize him or um, shackle him without the ball. Um, because you could end up rubbing them up the wrong way, couldn't you? Really, I'm not saying he doesn't do any any work off the ball, but it's something that I noticed as well. Um, but he, he's still a player, really. Like, I'm just not sure if, you, if it necessarily be a, a Liverpool sign. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think Liverpool, are, you know, we've said plenty of times in the past. Liverpool are top bracket, really, and you, you need to take a lot of boxes as opposed to just just the unpredictable side when you're on the ball and stuff. I think around that there's got to be could got to be a bit more and I think he's got more than most but I still think Liverpool can get maybe a little bit better Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel Still on the game I don't fo- solely want to focus on the result to be honest because I think if Liverpool managed to come out of that 1-0 we still focus on the finishing being bad basically but I do think Liverpool's performance was good and Liverpool did create in attack, you know, creation wasn't the problem. Liverpool generated really clear cut opportunities, really. And that that hasn't always been the case at Anfield since the turn of the year. 
So I actually think the performance, the four two three one, all I I liked a lot of it. Um, I thought the Milner substitution was spot on to be honest, because I think at around that point, the game was drifting from box to box a little bit. Liverpool had lack a bit of less control than ideal, so we took off. I think he took off a forward, didn't he, Jota? And he brought on Milner, went for the four three three, gained a bit more control, and it helped the game. I thought. Mm. So generally, I thought the performance was good. I disagreed with the Thiago substitution. I must be honest. Uh, I don't think that helped us. I can see why he did it. Maybe bringing on fresh legs, you know, energy in cases, Jones and stuff. But I think, I think the direction of the game was was quite obvious for me. I thought it was quite clear that it was going to get to a point where we were going to be hanging on a little bit, and you need those players who can just take the ball and just keep it and just control it. And mm. uh, Jones is a bit more of a runner, isn't he? He's a bit more all over the place, you know, legs yeah. everywhere and not not so much, you know, a composed thinker of the game, if you know what I mean. I'm not really sure if I'm painting that the right way. But... Yeah, yeah. No, you are. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, for me, I, I, I don't... In, so... You know, based on the the shots and things, um, which is something that we look at, uh, XG and you know Liverpool really dominant. The only argument, and I've just brought it up to see if there was if it kind of re reaffirmed the points we're trying to make was I'm looking at five thirty eight model, um, and they obviously have a non shot XG as well as you know shot based XG, and no, it doesn't okay. Yeah, I was going to say it just felt like the. <laughs> It just felt like Newcastle were, were kind of given a little bit... Liverpool, maybe, for me, personally, had a little bit less control without the ball and it was a little bit more open than what I'm used to. Even when it hasn't, they haven't been having great performances and results, it's always felt like two-thirds of the pitch has been really strong still. Um, and they've just been undone by the one mistake that's led to a goal. You know, just a bit of bad fortune. But it did feel like sometimes they were a little bit more open than what I'm used to seeing. Um, but maybe that was just an observation I've made, and but e- you know, even uh, if even if that's the case, though, to be honest, you know, could could you argue argue that that is almost worth taking, considering that the shots yeah. Liverpool managed to generate and how we've struggled to do exactly that in the in the previous months? Yeah. So basically, you're saying, um, you know, it, I mean, I did say it stopped the sh- at the top of the show. It could have been a four-one victory on the other day, and would you have took a four-one win? Yeah. So, on on that basis, yeah, you know, it would have been a good trade-off. It just so happens that, um, you know, in somewhat of a rare situation, kind of a, a perfect representation of this season, it ended up being a, a negative result. I mean, whilst I'm looking on 538 now, probably the draw was, I think, 14% chance of it happening. Uh, and that's obviously what, what happened. <laughs> yeah, while, while you're just saying that, then I'll, I'm going to check on the stats because I think on the stats, I'll be... Probably be even even more in Liverpool's favour to be honest. Yeah, eighty percent um, based on five thirty-eight, eighty percent Liverpool victory normally, or you know based on it being an eighty percent chance of a Liverpool win. Yeah, Understat has Liverpool eighty-two percent chance yeah. of winning based on the shots that we took, twelve percent chance of a draw, and six percent chance of a Newcastle win. Yeah. But it, says it, it does. It sort of reaffirms it, doesn't it? At the end of the day, that it wasn't a bad performance. Like 
don't, don't get twisted. Works. Yeah. Although I'm although I'm making that point of saying it felt a little bit open. That's just in the general observation point of view. I'm not saying that that suddenly makes it, you know, it should have been a draw. Um, because I totally agree with what we've just been saying in that it was it was a a dominant kind of performance that you know on another day probably ends up in a comfortable victory. Yeah, it's just the kind of game that, although the absolute shambles at the end is painful to take, it's just um, you know the actual performance was des- deserving of a of a victory. Um, Klopp couldn't have done much more because the the performance that Klopp delivered resulted in his team creating twenty one shots. Should have scored about three or four. Really felt like, um, but it just didn't happen. And I think you know the goal at Liverpool conceded. As well as the goal that Liverpool conceded last week in the, in the last ten minutes against Leeds, I think both of those don't happen if if Van Dijk's on the pitch. And I know you can't really say that, but it just puts into perspective, you know, really how much one proper elite player can just win points almost single handedly. Really, um, mm. because when you when you when you go late into a game and you start soaking pressure, do you, usually the product is. Crosses delivered into the box, and Van Dijk gets on the end of all of them. Um, but Liverpool have obviously this season a lot less suited to soaking pressure because we don't really have much of an aerial presence to deal with those crosses. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm just gonna take it back a little bit, Dave, to Thiago. There's been a little bit of discourse this week, Josh. Just before we move on to that, can I just flag something quickly? Because I did, I did notice it this morning and, and thought I do want to flag that. Uh, when we go on to the subject of it, uh, just on that point of conceding late goals, I had a quick look to see you know what it's been like this season, and it's a thirty three percent have come after the seventy fifth minute, which is you know comfortably more than any other kind of fifteen minute segments of the game. Um, and the only reason I want to flag that is because it just felt like last season uh, a big thing that Liverpool did so well with the likes of Van Dijk being available uh, was was basically, you know, getting a one or two goal lead and then opting to sit on it almost, you know, reserve energy to compete in the other competitions, to be able to compete like, you know, a full, although they didn't need it in the end, you know, a full 38-game fixture that, you know, 100% or until the point where you get a victory and then you can kind of ease off and protect it. And just, I mean, I've just checked last season, so 13 goals conceded after the 75th minute. So far for Liverpool this season, uh, there was only six in the whole of last season. So it's, you know, over twice as many so far compared to last season with, uh, you know, another six games to go. So it's, it's just, it's quite revealing, isn't it? Yeah, I wrote a piece last week, actually, and it was, I kind of used Sevilla as an example of, of, of what I was talking about. In a short period, under Klopp, Liverpool faced Sevilla twice. Once in the UEFA in the UEFA in the Europa League final. Um obviously Liverpool took a one 0 lead and then basically I suppose collapsed in the second half, conceded three. And then shortly after, I think a year later, faced the same team in the Champions League group stages and went three 0 up in the first half. And that match ended up finishing three all. Again, another kind of defensive collapse in a way. Um, and then, you know, not not long after that, Liverpool brought in Van Dijk, Alisson and Fabinho, who, who for me were three really elite signings, all of whom are really 
composed and cool under pressure and stuff. Um, and I, I looked at the numbers attached to it. Um, since Van Dijk's injury this season, Liverpool have dropped. Well, Liverpool had dropped. This was last week, so it will be yeah. So Liverpool have dropped fifteen points from winning positions um, since Van Dijk's injury. Whereas beforehand, trying to find the, the exact number now, but beforehand, 2018-19 and 19-20 combined, Liverpool hadn't dropped that amount. I think it was a total of maybe, it was around 10, trying to find the exact number now in the piece. But just, I think what I'm getting at is, you know, the influence of Van Dijk specifically in those moments, it's just, it's a different level. Um mm. And without him, which Liverpool are going to get him back soon enough anyway, but, you know, without him, it is it is difficult. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. You know, on Thiago, Dave, you know, there's been a bit of discourse this week on Twitter. Those who are active on Twitter will have probably seen it. Mm. I, I choked to bit my lip <laughs> uh, and didn't get involved. But I don't know, just general thoughts. On that one, I mean, it, oh. for perspective, it, it was some sort of comments around the number of passes he's made this season. Yes, he's yet to post an assist, um, and that captures how bad the season's been. Essentially, how he's, his lack of impact or something it, it said. Um, I disagree with that. Uh, but any thoughts on that one, Dave? Um. Right, so on this, I think there's a fu- there's a fundamental issue really in how we kind of measure the ability of midfielders or players who aren't directly involved in the finishing of attacking moves. And in my opinion, you're judging a player who predominantly plays in the middle of the pitch. His contributions are you know, passing the ball to the more attack-minded players where, or even just into the attacking third where you start looking to create attacking moves. If you if you pitch it like a game of chess, he's, he's probably, his key contributions, you know, come with three or four moves before the, the final kind of, um, I don't know, check or, you know, taking of a piece. He, he contributes way before that. So, this is why you know, there's been such an evolving within the analytics data community about trying to find metrics that are more suitable to specific player positions. Uh, I think Thiago is a really example, really good example. Like, why are we judging Thiago on goals and assists when you know his contributions inside the final third are fairly small? Because a lot of his main work comes in the middle of the in the pit of the pitch. You know, it's it's. It's it's quite irritating seeing really high-profile voices in the media show such a reluctance to this because they they're the people who can kind of share it with the man on the street, you know, the, the people who watch football, enjoy football, and they're the voices who can almost echo this to them so they can learn. But instead, they don't. It's it's for me, Josh. It's quite lazy that they don't, and you end up having these false narratives about players like. Tiago, who, by the way, I don't think he's been 
unbelievable since he's come in. But I also don't think uh, not registering an assist makes you a terrible signing in his position. Um, yeah, I guess that's the best way I'd summarise it. Oh, I agree. I think that's, that's, that's probably spot on, to be honest. That's the biggest issue I had with it. As in, like, it's it's an unfair barometer to, to judge him on. It's not his bag, really. Um, like, I think one of the pieces I wrote, one of the pieces I wrote last season before he came in was that he was kind of going to be the, the the king of the middle third, really, for Liverpool. He was going to be another avenue for Liverpool to progress into the final third. He was going to be, you know, an unpredictable means of arriving in valuable areas in the pit, on the pitch. Alexander-Arnold does that. Robertson does that. Van Dijk, I think, was doing that. But kind of nobody else. No, nobody else was really offering, you know, at the drop of a hat like that, where it went into a valuable area. And Thiago was going to do that from midfield, central midfield, where no, no other player was really doing that for Liverpool. So, and, and he's he's been doing that. You know, I've just got up now. So progressive passes per ninety. You know, you've probably seen people use it, but I'm sick of it to be honest. But it's a, <laughs> just for a bit of context on what the stats is, it's a, a progressive pass is a completed pass that moves the ball towards the opponent's goal at least 10 yards from its furthest point in the last six passes or any completed pass into the penalty area. So it, it's it's that Thiago pass you picture in the head right now, probably. You know, that, that, that kind of line breaker, really. And in the Premier League this season, Thiago's averaging 8.7 per 90. That is the most in the Premier League, in the whole league, against players who have played at least 500 minutes. You know, the only players above him on that. There's five players above him on that list and they've all played about five minutes. So, that you know, they obviously don't count. Um, so you've got Thiago top, then you've got Trent in second, Kovacic in third, um, Jordan Henderson, funnily enough, in fourth, but Henderson played a bit of time at centre-back. And then Jacke. So, you know, these these are players that just basically move the team forward and stuff. And right. Thiago offers plenty. He offers a lot. I think he, his main skills are going to be shown a lot more next season when Liverpool have got a proper unit, a proper foundation. Every, same team every week, if you like. Um, I, I understand why he maybe fell short in a lot of people's heads. And it's... I, 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 it's absolutely fine if he's fell short in your head and you was expecting what was right of him. But when you're expecting him to start delivering assists and things like that, and even if he had delivered one or two assists... Two, two, two assists. <laughs> you know, so what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, does that change anything? Does that piece that we reference and suddenly become a positive piece? You know, exactly. do, you, do you start saying, what a sign? Just because exactly. he's, he's good to assist. That's so what it reminds me of, it reminds me of how people made out that the perception of Pochettino was going to change loads if he picked up a League Cup. Mm. You know, if he picked up a Carabao Cup, he's now this winner. It was not going to do anything, you know, to, to his perception. People people see what they say at the end of the day. But in terms of Thiago, I haven't got many worries attached to him at all. I, I think he's 
extremely valuable on the ball. Um, and I think he'll he'll show that a lot more next season. Um, despite the fact I think maybe under the radar a little bit, but I think this season he has shown a lot about what he's about. And I think specifically against Newcastle, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Um, and I think Newcastle was actually the game that he was introduced for. Really, some people were saying when he didn't start against Real Madrid, some people were saying, you know, this is the game we signed him for, wasn't it? But I was thinking, I was thinking at the time, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I think he was signed against like you know th- these these teams that are willing to just sit in a block, and you need to find different ways to break through them. Yeah. All of our ways in the past few seasons have came from the flanks because of Trent, because of Robbo. Now we've got a player who can do it from the middle, and it just gives you another avenue into into breaking through. But in terms of worries about him, you know, I've I've got very few concerns aside from the fact that he's still fouling an unbelievable amount. Um, in fact, I think against Newcastle, I'm not sure he made many at all actually. But in terms of just for the season, he's he's still right up there. Do you think there's a there's a little bit of an over eagerness though? Do you think if he'd if he'd settled right in without any of these question marks and Liverpool having a really good season and he was just playing his game? Do you think you'd see this as a trait in his, in his game still? Because I just wonder, even for such an experienced player who's you know played at the highest level for many years, I do wonder if there's just a, a little bit of an over eagerness to 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 do more, impact the game more when you're on the pitch uh, than maybe maybe was in for the likes of Bayern, uh, you know Barcelona before and things. It's I'm just gonna have a look now and see if I can. What, have a quick look at his files compared to last season. Well, I actually think. Yeah, this... wow. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, he's 2.41 files per 90 this season, and it was 1.15 per 90 in the Bundesliga last season. So. Is that FB ref? No, this is. I'm just using White Scout because it's quicker. Because okay. um, I'm, I'm on FB ref here. And, yeah. Um, in terms of his files. Only players who have played at least a thousand minutes. He's third in the league for fouls per ninety. The only play, the only two players who make fouls more often than he does are Trezeguet at Villa and Ashley Barnes, who we know is essentially a boxer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think some of it is over eagerness. I've seen quotes from him saying someone asked him, you know, what's the difference in English football and stuff. And he said, tactically and all that sort of stuff, it's very similar and things. But one thing he pointed out was just the speed of the game. It's just a lot faster. And that obviously bodes worse for a player like Thiago. And I must say as well, in his in his favour, I would rather a player like this doing what he does where he's still willing to put a foot in, albeit late, than a player who just lets opponents dance by him. You know, I'd, I'd much rather him get stuck in, basically, even though he's a bit late a lot of the time, than a player who's who's just going to be a complete passenger on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, It's about getting that balance, isn't it? You don't want to be giving away daft fouls because you get punished by them, but uh, yeah, you also don't want to basically be that, you know, poor pass in terms of progressing from maybe from your own half to to the attacking half and, and, and putting the team at risk. He's just, he's just got to get that balance. I think if he settles into his game more, 
and Liverpool become the team that they were last year, or some, just something a bit closer. It doesn't need to be as you know as phenomenal as they were last season. If you just become you know a little bit more settled and more consistent, then I think you'll see a better version of him as a result, and maybe as on top of that, as a consequence, less of these you know fouls and over eagerness. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So before we move on into Manchester United, we obviously can't really progress beyond the Newcastle game without putting into context Liverpool's finishing for the season and how this is a massive factor behind what's happened, basically. Probably as big of a factor as the centre-back issues, to be honest. Mm. Um, so this season, I, I shared it uh, recently. Liverpool are currently underperforming, expected goals by 10.2 goals. Um, only worse than that are Fulham and Brighton. That basically captures Liverpool's finishing. So if Liverpool finished at, a, at an absolute normal expected rate, Liverpool would probably have about 10 more goals than they actually have. Uh, for a bit of perspective, at the opposite end, Tottenham have been the best finishers so far this season, I suppose you could say. They've scored eight goals more than expected. Then Leicester, seven goals more than expected. West Ham, about seven goals more than expected. But yeah, Liverpool at the very opposite end on minus 10. Um, and if you look at individuals, the individual who's underperformed the most in the whole league, Roberto Firmino, on 5.3 goals. And the second most, Sadio Mane. <laughs> On 5.2 goals. So Liverpool have the top two underperforming players in the country. Third, for a bit of perspective, is Timo Werner, who Liverpool also tried to sign. <laughs> um, that could have been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been hilarious, to be honest. Uh. Uh, but, you know, people have, I'm sure, picked up on Werner's ability, uh, Werner's tendency to miss status, I suppose. Um, but, Mane and Firmino, according to these numbers at least, have, have been worse with their finishing this season. Mm. And again, like compared compared to past seasons, this doesn't happen. Last season, the season before, and the season before, Liverpool overperformed by at least 10 goals. So it's been a 10-goal overperformance for three consecutive seasons. Your finishing's delivered 10 more goals than than expected for three consecutive seasons and then out of nowhere not only do you erase back to the mean but you completely flip to the opposite end of the scale really so Liverpool mm. it's like a 20 goal swing Liverpool's yeah. finishing has resulted in a 20 goal swing from this season compared to last season which is just it is baffling isn't it David and it's the kind of yeah. thing thankfully that doesn't usually continue it doesn't usually it's not forever this now this should switch eventually um, but it's it's very weird nonetheless yeah yeah it's uh, you look at that and think yeah yeah you can't imagine that kind of under, underperformance being sustainable obviously this season's done now you know with 30 odd games in so not much is going to change the now at the end of the season but it just you, it appeases fears a little bit for, for next season that uh, there should be you know, more of a levelling out uh, in comparison to what's happened this campaign, at least. 
just for a bit more perspective on Mane and Firmino. Um, they've scored 14 goals this season from a total. This is in the Premier League only. 14 goals from 156 shots. Um, that is a conversion rate of about 9%. For, again, for perspective on that, I think last season, I think Mane's conversion rate last season was about 20, 25%, yeah, it was wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, and I was he, in his 20s. Yeah, if he's been Liverpool's most efficient finisher for a few seasons, Manny, I think. Um, mm. Salah, for perspective, I think his finishing, his conversion rate was around 16% or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it's one of them. It's absolutely baffling. Those who have signed up to the newsletter will have seen a newsletter I sent out a few weeks ago now on, on finishing and how it's just, it just fluctuates really based on very little. Sometimes you go through heat, sometimes you go a bit cold. And Liverpool, mm. two Liverpool's three forwards, well, excluding Jota, who's been injured for a period, are just freezing cold this season. And there's, <sighs> there's not there's not a lot Jürgen Klopp can do about it. That's the frustrating thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... The, with, go on. Go on. I was just literally going to say, that's the frustrating thing about it. It's not really something you, you need to be fixed, you know, on the it's, it's the ground, kind, for example. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing. Put it this way: Brighton are the worst in the league for this. Brighton have underperformed by the most. But what you should get from that, really, if you look at those numbers, what those numbers kind of capture is okay. The problem is not Graham Potter. The the problem is his, his players essentially putting the ball in the net. You know, that's not something mm. Potter cannot finish. Potter can't put the ball in the net, but he can put his, he can coach his team to create chances, essentially. He can coach his team to generate shots. That's clearly what they're very good at doing. They just can't score. And in Liverpool's case, you know, looking at those numbers, Jürgen Klopp isn't really to blame for a lot of that. If Liverpool underperformed by 10 goals, there's not much Klopp can do. All he can do is just keep empowering his players to just keep trying and keep doing what they're doing. And they'll come. But it's hard to believe at times. Um. But we'll move on anyway, Dave, to Manchester United. Uh, I must admit, I'm not overly looking forward to this one because I, I don't know, I don't really know what's coming. Uh, no. Thoughts? Feels, yeah, it feels a very strange Liverpool United game, this. Uh, mm. Especially when you consider that it was only in January that, albeit a lot of this talk was coming from... Uh, Old Trafford and the United side because they were getting very giddy. But you know that the last one felt like a bit of a title, title head to head encounter. Um, and there we are four months later, and obviously it, it's a strange one. Uh, United are obviously all but done. I think Champions League qualification wise, Liverpool need the points. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not an easy game. If you have, if you, if you have a look, they've lost the only defeat United have had since the 1st of November was that obscure 2-1 defeat to Sheffield United at Old Trafford. That's their only league loss in, yeah, since the very 1st of November, which is insane, really. No, I didn't think it was that as good as that. Yeah, I mean, I must be honest, I, I think this is probably the best United team since Ferguson. Um, mm. and but, but despite saying that, I, I still don't think they're that great. And I still think... <laughs> I still think Liverpool are about to see. Liverpool have just lost all practicality at the minute, and United are very practical because of the amount mm. of 
match winners, let's say, in, in the squad, particularly at the mm. business end of the pitch. And obviously, they, they don't keep a they don't keep a high line. They, they they drop back and stuff, which is quite uncharacteristic. But they can do that because yeah. Maguire is good in the air and stuff. But I do think Liverpool are better coached. I think Liverpool can can dominate this team for uh, quite a bit. But maybe without winning the game, which then renders it a little bit pointless, doesn't it? It's mm. it's a difficult one. I'd, I'd like to see you know these two teams face off. Both with a full eleven, um, but it's a difficult one because while, while being a good United side, I think you know it's not absolutely they're absolutely fine. I think they're not second in the league, good though. I don't think you know. No, I don't well, think the, the underlying numbers say that about uh, you know top three, four side rather than the kind of uh, soon to be runners up, don't they? Yeah, well, I might as well go into them now. I think so. In in terms of expected goals per match. Excluding penalties, uh, United's expected goals is fifth. They post the fifth best attack in that department, and then on the defensive side, it's fifth again. So, fifth best attack, fifth best defense according to non-penalty expected goals, and then in terms of shots, fourth in the table for shots, seventh in the table for shots faced. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I was on about. You know, the performance numbers associated with them aren't really that great, uh, but they do have better individuals than a lot of teams. They don't really expose themselves too much. And, you know, those better players that I've just mentioned, they, they do step up in big moments. You know, you've got mm. Pogba can win a game on his own, Bruno can win a game on his own. They've obviously got a few forwards who are quite skilled at winning penalties. Um, uh, oof, accusation there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. Uh, I, don't, I think it's just the. Uh, <laughs> it's just one of them. I, I, I think it's there's a bit of skill attached to it. Uh, well, it helps to be in the opposition's box, doesn't it? For the start, you know, uh, what game was I watching over the, oh, the um, Everton Arsenal game? And uh, you know that that was a really fortunate game, a fortunate goal that he scored to win the game. But it was a reminder for me why you why you aim to be the team that controls a lot of the play and, and, and tries to you know be in the opposition's box on a regular basis because in football things like that happen and you know uh, touches in the penalty area can result in, in fouls and penalties so you know that's that's one of the benefits of being on the the, the side on top. But they've, they've got dribblers as well, um, and I think you know if you. Burnley's numbers are highlighted quite a bit, I think, by Sean Dyche because they haven't won a penalty in about, I don't know, 40, 40 years or something like that. And <laughs> I think it, a lot of it stems from who's, who's, who's winning them, who's dribbling yeah. in the box, but apart from maybe Dwight McNeil, they don't really encourage challenges in and around the penalty box, really. No. And any time the ball is in the box for them, it's usually in the air. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's it. And they're normally the ones giving away the fouls. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't things. know. I, I don't have too many opinions on this. I'm not really. It's just a waste of time. I think delving into penalties and all that sort of stuff and bias. But I do think it's it's helped them this season. I'm not, I'll, I'll double check now as I'm speaking where they are in the league for penalties. Um, yeah. So penalty kicks attempted. Yeah, they've they've had the second most. They've got nine for the season. Liverpool on six. The only team on more than nine is Leicester on ten. 
Um, but Josh, just on that quickly though, that I mean that summarised the point we're trying. To, well, just been making then. Look at look at the teams who are obviously top leading the way there. Leicester, a top side. United, Chelsea, Brighton. Yeah. Who are just the you know we know Brighton are. Um, <laughs> City, Arsenal, Liverpool. You know, so it's all the top sides winning them because they've got. As you said, even Fulham, Fulham, Fulham are up there, and they've got a few tricky, yeah. tricky forward. You know, Luchman and Cavaliero, and is yeah. it Cavaliero? And then look, and then you've got uh, oh, poor West Ham, like, but yeah, you know, you've got like your Burnley's, Leeds, Palace, Sheffield United winning the let the least, and this is that just you know, think of that narrative that's been going on for you know twenty years of all the top sides get the penalties, and you know the lesser sides don't, but. You know, if you want to get a bit of an indication as to why beyond just, you know, crying it in, that, that's what we're talking about now is a prime example, isn't it? You know, these trickier players, better players and, and being on the front foot more and, and, and therefore having more touches in those areas. Yeah, that's it. Um, hopefully he didn't win a penalty against Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lee, I should probably caveat it with that quickly. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red Channel. Going back to the over, over and underperformance thing that I was mentioning before in reference to Liverpool's finishing, uh, United ranked fourth in the table for overperformance. They've scored about 6.7 goals more than expected. Um, obviously, they've got some top finishes in there. You know, they've got Bruno, they've got Cavani. Um, Rashford Greenwood's been a good finisher so far. I think he's had a little bit of an off season compared to last season, although he's coming yeah. into his own lately. Uh, you know, but... just quickly on that, sorry, Josh, on that over yeah. performance, right? That is a would you would you you would argue that that's not a, a huge enough one where you go they're going to fall right off next year? Would you? It's it's kind of still a you know they're still kind of you know a top maybe foot performer side. In performance-wise, sorry, they're probably like a top three or four team and then they have these really good players that can kind of elevate them in terms of returning more points. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's probably the, the the amount of over-performance you can maybe expect if you've got good players, I suppose. I mean, last season, last season they overperformed by roughly the same. So last season they overperformed by 6.2. Uh, they couldn't be overperforming, I think, by 6.7. Mm. Uh, season before... I think the squad was a little bit different the season before, but that year they yeah they overperformed again by about five point six. So that's three seasons in a row there where United have kind of bought themselves an extra six goals compared to the average finishes because mm-hmm. they've got good players in the attacking end of the field. Um, but I think one of the biggest credits I can give this United side going into this game, they're not a team that I think you you, you enjoy. Playing against, I I won't. I don't think I'll enjoy watching Liverpool play against this team because they've got they've got you know dogs in the middle of the park who just step on your heels and stuff and break everything up. They've got players who can win games on their own. They've got speed. They've got that determination. They're good in the air. Um, they can obviously come back when they got a goal down and stuff. So they are developing into a decent team. I don't, I don't think they're the type of team that will just roll over. And I, I do think it'll be difficult this one for Liverpool. Mm. I, I think one thing that does benefit Liverpool a little bit is the rest. You know, it's well, is it over the week since Liverpool's last game by the time they meet? Whereas 
you know, this fixture for United is sandwiched in between two European semi-finals. So, um, I, forgot, I forgot about that to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Thursday night you got Roman, and then obviously second leg. So that could genuinely when when two teams as good as these going at it. I know Liverpool a little bit by their standards out of form in terms of things like points return. But as we've touched on at the start of the show, performance-wise, it was pretty pretty good against Newcastle. Um, just didn't get the results. So when you've got two really good teams, these far margins, you know, might might move, uh, might be pretty decisive, mightn't they? Uh, you know, in terms of them having not two big games either side. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a tricky game. And I think at Old Trafford, generally on the year in clock, we haven't had the best record. Um, sometimes we've deserved more than, more than we've actually got, but... For some reason, I think it's a lot of it's maybe stemmed from the crowd. That they've seemed really, really up for it when we when we went to Old Trafford in recent years. I'm not sure this will be the overly be the case this time around, considering the ground will be empty. They're above us in the league this time. You know, they're not really having to prove themselves in in such a way. So you know, we will see. Obviously, you mentioned they have got European semis around the game. They've got less to play for in Liverpool. It'll be interesting to see if Klopp persists. With the four-two-three-one, um, considering obviously the lack of control in this game could hurt you a little bit more, probably. Uh, but I'll just see this one going. And Dave, predictions? Uh, predictions have been so hard this year, really have because uh, no, no, uh, hard. Uh, I'm gonna sit on the fence. I think I'm gonna go with draw. I think. I expect Liverpool to play well, but United are the decent side. Um, it does feel to me, you know, it just doesn't feel like it has the same edge, this fixture, the way it normally has. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it's coming quite late, late at the end of the season, Liverpool have been kind of competing for trophies the last few years and now they're not. Um, this year, I know it's the Champions League still there, so I don't know, it just feels weird and I wonder if maybe the game might play out like that. So, I'm going to go for I'm going to be really boring. I go for a nil-nil. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say one all. Uh, but I think it's absolutely possible that Liverpool get done in, in this game. Just simply because of what I mentioned before, how, how practical United's game is compared to Liverpool at the minute. Liverpool can very easily come across as the better coach team across a number of departments. But when it comes to actually doing the stuff that matters... At both ends of the pitch, Liverpool are coming undone this season. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's. It, it, I think it depends. It it just depends on a. It's going to sound a bit stupid, but how up for it both teams are. You know how much the European game has an impact on United's game. How up for this Champions League chase Liverpool are, and how down the heads might be after the Newcastle game and stuff. But hopefully. It's a bit of a scrap. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, this is a really completely, uh, I guess you call it a rabbit hole on a tangent a little bit, but I just want to ask you something really random. And I was thinking about it earlier. And I was going to I was going to message you, but I thought, you know, I'll just mention it on the show in case anyone else is interested. What's your thoughts, right? Even though it's, it was sort, sort of the start of the season by the players, what's your thoughts on Wijnaldum being Liverpool's captain? when he's probably leaving in the summer. Do you think it... I know that's such a random thing, but do you do you think 
and there's key players missing. But do you think you start kind of bending a new captain or do you wait to the end of the year? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting shout. Like, I haven't really thought about it much. Mm. But it's difficult without knowing the details of of him leaving. You know, it's, it's difficult mm. knowing, is he choosing to leave? Are Liverpool just not giving him enough in terms of what he deserves? Do Liverpool just want him to leave and haven't offered him anything? You know, it's it's difficult to actually know. Um, but you know, on the other hand, I do I do wonder what message it would send if, despite needing him for the second half of the season or whatever, if you just kind of said soon, well, you're leaving at the end of the campaign. We're going to give the armband to Trent. You know, how how would how would he take that? You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and you know, he's still a really important midfielder, isn't he? It's just. I was just looking at it and I was thinking, not that he's he, he's, a, he's an ultra-professional. Uh, he's still a really good player, brings a lot to the team. But I'm just looking at it and thinking like, you know, that's the on-the-pitch leader for this side when things aren't going great. I know there's leaders who don't need, need the armbands. You know, sometimes the armband's a token. But then other times it isn't. And I'm just looking at it and thinking, although this season feels like it's petering out a little bit, Champions League qualification is still there and it's it's very important for this side to get it. Um, and there's a good chance that this guy who's the captain isn't probably going to be involved next year. You know, it's not really going to be his thing to deal with. And I don't know, I just feel like, would you I be think... better making Alexander-Arnold captain? You know, he's going to be there next year, Scouser. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that we haven't really rehearsed or said we'll talk about. So maybe if we... If we had, we'd articulate and have a better conversation about it. But I just wanted to ask you. I think I'd have more of an issue if it was, say, for example, Emre Chan, or say last season when Hoiberg was the captain of Saints. I think in those situations it's different because both Emre and Hoiberg think that their peak years were best spent away from Anfield. Mm. Um, whereas Wijnaldum has spent his peak years at Liverpool. He's been, you know, he's been a servant at Anfield. He doesn't maybe think he's deserving of a higher level or, you know, forcing a move through or just thinks he's making a step up or whatever. He's he spent his peak years at Anfield. He's, he's won trophies and stuff. So I don't think mm. it's the kind of departure that leaves a bit of salt. Um, I think it's, it's one of them that, it's a bit like Thiago leaving Bayern. It's just, it's kind of, I think buying with very much, if you want a new challenge at this stage in your career, that's absolutely fine because of what you've given us. So I think Wayne Adams is leaving on good terms and stuff. So I haven't got that much of an issue with it, to be honest. And I would wonder what what the reaction would be if you said to him, you know, we're going to give the armband to Trenzo or whatever. But I don't know. I think looking at how professional he is and stuff, I don't think it's had any kind of impact on uh, what's happened on the pitch, but I suppose you never know. It's a, it's a good point, like. Yeah, yeah. Just some throwing to round it off there. So would you have an issue with Ever- from an Everton perspective with that? Uh, well, it's different because I don't. I think Wayne Album's a really rare kind of player. Uh, if it if if they had Wayne Album, probably not. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I think I was it, it, with a different profile, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think. With something still to play for them, kind of you need a leader who's going to be there the following season, and 
Yeah, I think I would. And I'll just be honest. I'd, I'd like to see somebody else with it and somebody else leading the team out and kind of leading that charge. But, you know, it's all about, you know, personal point of views. And I guess that would just be mine if, if I was in that situation. Yeah, no, it's a fair comment. But we will, uh, we will use that to round up. So, Dave, thank you for joining us, mate. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back next week to review Manchester United and to look ahead. And, um, you know, maybe we'll talk about something else. Maybe we'll we'll include some, some transfer stuff. We'll see where we go. But considering Liverpool have one game a week now, really, until the end of the season, um, maybe we've got a bit of space there to do something. So any suggestions, do send them in. Put them in the comments and stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.